0: Men. So we're singing that, I couldn't help but think about Romans 9 um, with a writer there, Paul uh, in the book of Romans says, will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Uh, we have really no right um, to question God in, uh, in uh, anything that he does, he has called us though into this, this um, endeavor, this journey, this race to be molded like him. And what an amazing thing that it's not as if we were saying, uh, how dare you make me something inferior? That in the case of us who are called, those of us who are believers, those of us who by faith have been adopted into the family of God, we can know that we are being molded into the image of the one who is preeminent, the image of the one who is superior, not inferior in any way. Isn't that a good thought? That, uh, that we are heading, that we will never be Christ. We will never be God. Only God is God. We are not. But that we can be, have this image of God restored in us. So that we would be fit for heaven, it's a wonderful, wonderful thought. If you got a Bible tonight, I want to ask you to open to Romans chapter eight. Um, Romans chapter—I'm sorry, Romans chapter six—is uh, where we will uh, spend a good portion of our our night together tonight. Um, I will be in several different verses just to kind of show you this, but I want to I want to continue with what we t- started this morning in talking about how does God sanctify us. Um, and we, we learned this morning that we run this race by resting and running. We trust that God will finish it, but also that we, we work toward our own sanctification, that we work out our salvation, not so that we would be justified, but because we have been justified. And he is in the process of conforming us to his image. So I want to continue with this. How does God sanctify us? How does God change us? How does God change our heart? How does he take us from sinner to saint? And um, well, I want to show you that tonight. Well, first off, it begins at regeneration. Sanctification, the process, begins when you are born again, when you are made alive, when when God breathes new life into you uh, and you are converted then this process of sanctification starts. It doesn't start before that. It doesn't start after that. There is a definite beginning. Let me show you this in Scripture. Um, you don't have to turn with me. You can stay there in Romans 6, but if you'd like to turn, uh, I'm going to First John chapter 3, verse 9. Let me flip through some of these. First John 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Well, it only stands to reason that if sanctification is this process, this race that we enter into, whereby we are becoming less and less sinful and more and more holy, that what John here is talking about, that when a person is born of God, they can't Go on sinning anymore? That their nature has been changed. That they now are disgusted with sin. Doesn't mean that we will always be disgusted with sin. We still fight this this uh, this battle within. Uh, we still at times gratify the flesh. But what he means there is not that someone, when they come to Christ, that they are automatically perfect. There are some that teach that when you come to Christ, that you are made sinless, either immediately or at some point in your life, you can reach sinless perfection. And there are those who have claimed to this. Well, that's just not true. You know, 1 John 1 8. Look, look back there since we're right there. 1 John 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 8. John here, speaking to Christians, says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. He goes on and he says, if you'll confess that sin, God will be faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so it begins at regeneration. We see that in the writing of John here in his first letter, that the one who's born again doesn't continue or doesn't continue in this pattern of sin. Uh, Turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus 3, verses 4 and 5. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The picture here is that there was a point when the gospel made no sense to you. When you weren't seeking after God. When you were dead in your sin, as Ephesians 2 says. But it came alive. That it appeared to you. the word the Bible there says. And then it says that he has washed us with regeneration and that he is performing the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Part of the Holy Spirit's job is from the moment of being born again is to conform or transform your character um, to be like Christ. Continue to go backwards. Go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says, And such were some of you, talking about these um, um, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, all of these, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now I want you to notice the tense of the word there. He says, You were sanctified. You say, well, Scott, I thought you said that sanctification was this lifelong process, that it was this marathon, that we would run all of our lives, that we would never achieve sanctification until death. Right. And here, when the writer here in 1 Corinthians says you were sanctified, he is pointing to this fact that sanctification began at regeneration. When we're born again, we in one sense, have been sanctified. He's speaking of it as if it is a completed action because he sees it in its infancy. He sees it at the very beginning when the gun is fired, if you will. Which brings us then to our text that I want us to spend the bulk of our time in to Romans chapter 6. And I want us to look at verses 11 through 19 tonight. Romans 6, verses 11 through 19. He, goes, he begins there in verse 11 by saying, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's very interesting there. It's a very pointed word. Consider yourself dead to sin, alive to God in Jesus Christ. It's a reckoning. It is a a, kind of an accounting term where you mark it down, where you check it off, where you say this is reality. He says, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Well, you and I know, I mean, how many of you would say, boy, that's easy? I mean, that's just easy to do on a daily basis. I just get up every morning and just consider myself dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's easy. And I just go throughout my day and I don't struggle with sin at all. Temptation doesn't bother me, right? <laughs> if only it were that easy. And Paul knows that it's not that easy. And that's why he reminds them that you've got to consciously make this assessment of yourself on a regular basis you've got to continually repeat to yourself i'm dead to sin i'm alive to god in jesus christ you've got to continually remind yourself of that because it is the reality but you're still faced with this sin i want us to see it as we go through this text how how do we do this how do we consider ourselves Dead to sin, alive to God. Well, first off, in verses 12-13, through he says, By not presenting your members to sin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. It's one way you do it. (laughs) You don't do the things that you used to do. You don't go to the places that you used to go to. You don't look at the, the things that you used to look at. One of the most important things that, a, that a, an alcoholic or a drug addict that, is, that has gotten clean and that is trying to stay clean, one of the most important things they will tell you is, I don't need to go back into my old environment. I can't, I can't go back to the same people that I have ran with because it will remind me. They will, they will put these things in front of me. And so one of the great things that, that, uh, that a person struggling with that can do is to remove themselves from that environment. Um, I, a lot of years, I've spent a lot of years working with teenagers in student ministry. And um, I know I've shared this with you. It's kind of comical to us now. But, uh, you know, this would mean for them, don't, don't present your, cell, your members as instruments of unrighteousness. It means, look, if, if you're wanting to stay sexually pure, um, you don't spend time alone with the opposite sex when you've got extra time on a date. Just snuggled up somewhere, parked in a car somewhere. Uh, don't don't, uh, don't cuddle up on the couch and watch the movie over at her house after her parents have gone to bed. You know, you, you've, got to, you've got to do things to where you're not going to present your your members... Uh, As instruments for unrighteousness. Um, It's interesting there that the phrase he uses as members or or as instruments for unrighteousness, and he he says it like like they still are. When you you do things like that, when you go back into that environment, when you go back to that computer and do the searches that you once did, look at the things that you looked at before you were saved. When you put the things in your body that you put into your body before you were saved. When you go to those same places, you're treating those members of your body as if they still belong to sin. As if they still exist as instruments of unrighteousness. But the great thing, hear me on this, the great thing, one of the great things about being saved is it's not just your spirit It's not just your soul that is saved. God wants all of you. Isn't that good? That we won't spend eternity as disembodied souls. That one day, these bodies will be transformed to where they will last throughout eternity. And we will, in this body, transformed, mind you... Worship around God's throne forever. So he says, this is a reality that you've got to get into your mind, even though as you go through your life, it doesn't feel like a reality. i, I got to be honest with you. This morning when I got up, I didn't feel like coming to worship. I <laughs> said, so wait a minute, pastor, you're the pastor. You know? You're not supposed to say that. I didn't say I didn't want to come here. I didn't say I didn't want to be the pastor here. When I got up, I just didn't feel like coming to worship. I mean, anybody else been there? You all sit there all spiritual and like two, two people raise their hands, you know? I didn't feel like it. You know what I had to do? I had to talk to myself. I had to tell myself, it doesn't matter what you feel. God's on the throne. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. He deserves your worship regardless of what you feel like. Get off your lazy couch or whatever I was on and get in there and and worship God. That's considering myself dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. We got too many people that claim to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they're forgetting to consider themselves dead to sin. They're wallowing in what they feel. The Bible never says wallow in what you feel. Days when you don't feel like you're saved. Does that mean you're not? You better hope it doesn't. There are days when my wife doesn't feel like being married to me. Last I checked, though, we're still married. you got to consider yourself. Reckon yourself. Mark it down because it is a reality. So, how do you do this? By not presenting yourself to uh, your members to sin, like instruments for unrighteousness. Secondly, the opposite is true. You've got to present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness or for righteousness. Two things he tells us there. Number one, he's not telling us in the negative, don't present your members. Now he's telling us what to present. And he doesn't say present your members. This time he says present yourselves. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And this is discipline. This is living the sanctified life. This is getting up in the morning when you don't feel like it, but going and opening God's Word and reading and praying and asking God, God, help me to understand that. And let's just be honest. There are times when you'll read something and you'll go, I don't have a clue. I mean, I don't know what that just said. And if you always read the Bible and you always know what it means, then you're reading the same thing over and over again. You need to get out of John or Matthew And you need to get over into Song of Solomon or Ecclesiastes, you know, or you need to get into Lamentations or, you know, Habakkuk or something. And you'll read that and go, God, I don't have a clue. God, help me have a clue. And you know what? Over time, as you do that, as you you continually come to God and present yourself to God, as being brought from death to life, guess what he does? He conforms you to the image of his son. And then he says, present your members. Present your members to God as instruments for righteousness, efforts, uh, or to, as members of righteousness. J.C. Ryle, I, I really, I know I've quoted him a lot and you've heard that name all day long, but I really would encourage you to go out and get that book, Holiness. been around since the 1800s. It's not often you hear someone recommend a, a book to you from the 1800s, but this is a classic, Holiness, J.C. Ryle. won't cost you very much. It's a great, great read. Here's what he said about this, presenting your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He says, Just as a parent is pleased with the efforts of his little child to please him, though it be only by picking a daisy, or walking across the room so is our father in heaven pleased with the poor performances of his believing children you see this is going to feel awkward from time to time anybody ever tried to witness to someone and just felt like you just blew it oh, i mean you go there and you, you know you, you're trying to you're trying to you know point this person to Christ and i mean you may have just you know, converted them to Mormonism for all you know. I mean, it was, it was horrible. You know, you walk out and go, boy, I am the worst. I'm the worst evangelist on the face of the planet. You know what? When you step out on faith and you present yourself to God in obedience and you say, God, I don't know that I know how, but God, that person, I don't know if they know the Lord or not, but they need to know you because you're the only way for them to be forgiven and made right with God. And God, I'm going to talk to them. When you present your members, your tongue, your mind to God through that act, you can bumble around all over it. But you know what it does? It makes God smile. It makes God pleased that his child trusts him enough to try. It makes him happy that his child is delighted in him enough that he would embarrass himself for that. Now, that's no excuse for you not to learn how to be an evangelist or or witness. I mean, don't go out there and say, you know, hey, my pastor said I can say whatever I want to as long as I step out there. Cuz don't do that. You know, I mean that that's just dumb, you know, for lack of a better word. You need to represent the kingdom well. We 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 have a responsibility to learn as much about God as He has revealed to us. We have that responsibility. So don't use it as an excuse to be lazy. But when you do it and you fail, guess what? It's okay. There's no condemnation for you. You're free to fail because Jesus succeeded. The reality we see in verses 14 through 18... Verses 14 through 18. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. From the heart. We we have become obedient from the heart. Not because we figured it out. Not because we saw the infomercial at 3 o'clock in the morning which said if I'd call that number this would fix all my problems. But because we were born again. Because it appeared to us. He washed us with regeneration. He's changed our heart. And a heart that was desperately wicked. Who could know it? Running from God toward hell has now become one that is Wanting to please God. Wanting to be like his God. Wanting to worship his God, even if it means bumbling and stumbling around through it, so that he would be pleased in us. That's, that's a wonderful, wonderful little phrase there. I would, I would underline that in my Bible. Having been made obedient, become obedient from the heart. Regeneration in this process of sanctification is really only the beginning. It's only the beginning. It's where it starts, but it's only the beginning. Again, J.C. Ryle says, a deep sense of that struggle after regeneration, before we get to heaven, a deep sense of that struggle between holiness and sin, a deep sense of that struggle and a vast amount of mental discomfort from it are no proof that a man is not sanctified. Nay, rather, I believe they are healthy symptoms of our condition and prove that we are not dead, but alive. Get this hear, this. hear the rest of this. A true Christian is one who has not only peace of conscience, but war within. The heart of the best Christian, even at his best, is a field occupied by two rival camps and the company Of two armies. I have people come into my office. And sit down with me uh, often. Who doubt that they are saved. Who doubt that they have been born again. Because they say I just. I wrestle with it. I wrestle with with doing what is right. And with temptation. And I I want to be holy. But I'm still tempted. And I still fall. (laughs) It's no proof that you're not saved. In fact it probably is proof. The other way. That when you do sin, you are convicted over that sin. And you no longer enjoy that like you once did. You don't want to do that. You actually want to be holy, but there is this war within it and it is proof. that You have a new nature that is wrestling with the leftovers of this old flesh. We will never be completely sinless in this life, but we should not accept defeat of a certain sin. So, sanctification begins at regeneration. But then it increases throughout life. Let's continue to look at this passage. It increases throughout life. In chapter 6, verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. There's this... I want you to notice those those two words repeated twice. Leading to... There was a point where before you were saved, you presented your members as slaves to sin, as members of unrighteousness, and it led to more unrighteousness. But the opposite is to be the pattern of the believer. That we would no longer present our members as slaves to sin, but that we would present our members as slaves to God, slaves to righteousness. And that as we do that, just as before the Unrighteousness increased that as we present ourselves imperfectly but repeatedly the sanctification increases. It increases all throughout your life. Let me give you some examples from Scripture. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen. Second Corinthians three eighteen says, and we all with unveiled face Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's from one degree of glory to another. It's not a fast process. It is not a quick fix. You know, I mean, I, I have struggled with, with diet and exercise and Going up and down with weight all my life, and I wish there was just a magic pill I could just take and be done with it. You know, I'd buy that thing. Right, Ruby? I'd get it. I'd get it in a heartbeat. Well, just as there's nothing for that on this side, there's nothing to make you like Christ instantly like that either. It's a process, it is from one degree of glory to another. The longer you are with Christ, the more and more and more you should be able to look back and say, you know what, I haven't noticed it in a while, but I just don't struggle with that particular area like I used to. And it's not; it should not cause us to become prideful because the Bible says that pride comes before a fall but you ought to be able to look back over your life and take note that there are things that you used to struggle with but you don't struggle with those like you used to turn to philippians chapter 3 verses 13 through 14 i read this this morning if anybody if anybody in the history of christianity should be able to kind of brag a little bit and say you know what I'm probably the model Christian. I mean, I'm probably right up there. It would be Paul. Paul spoke multiple languages. Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, Latin. He had been schooled under the the best teachers of his day. He had seen Christ with his own eyes. He was the missionary that took the gospel... (laughs) more places than you and I will ever go. He wrote at least 13 letters of our New Testament, of the 27 books of our New Testament. He wrote 13 of those. If anybody has a right to say, you know what, hey guys, I've been humble my whole life, but right now I'm just going to chalk it up. I'm pretty good. If anybody has a right to do that, it would probably be Paul, but listen to what he says. Philippians 3 13 through 14, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, I think about, and I haven't talked about him in a while, but uh, my grandfather, my um, my grandfather. Some of you, um, David, David, and Don have, have met my grandfather and uh, went to my home church. It's been some time ago, but met him and um, the most godly man that I have ever known. And part of that's because he's my grandfather. Part of it is because I mean he just lives it. He just never gets to the point where he thinks I, I've done enough. I can sit down now. I can quit. He's constantly pulling out new books and saying, I, have you read this? I read this. This this changed my life. This, this spurred me on to Christ. And, you know, approaching 90 and attending youth events so that he can lead teenagers to Christ. Who does that? You know, I mean... That's the picture here is that it increases throughout life and until God calls you home you're not there. You don't have a right to quit. You don't have a right to say like Forrest Gump did after he ran all those years I'm kind of tired now. I think I'll go home. You, know, you, don't have a, you don't have a right to do that. You run until he says you're through. You know... And you look at me and you say, well, that's easy for you to do. I mean, you've not been running as long as I have. And you're right. I mean, there may come a day when, when my hair is gray or gone completely. And it's retirement years and, and I, I just want to take it easy. There may come that day. I, I pray not. That I'm like Caleb, who in his latter years said, Give me that mountain. The section we were in this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, I didn't go on to it, I could have this morning, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. After he's come out of that section where he uh, says, run this race, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, look, run this race. Then he goes into this section where he talks about that God is changing our character and he disciplines us, he disciplines those whom he loves. Then he comes down and he goes into verse 14 and he says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's this. Why, why would he say strive if he's referring to the holiness of justification? If he's referring to the holiness of justification, there is no striving in it. We are made right with God apart from any works of our own. That's why the thief on the cross could say to Jesus, remember me. And Jesus could look at him and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. That thief had no opportunity to go through sanctification. At that moment, he was minutes or hours from his death. So he's not talking about justification here. He's not saying you gotta strive to get there so that you'll be able to get into heaven. What is he talking about? He's talking about sanctification. Strive to become become holy in your living. And the thief on the cross proves that God will complete what he said, what he starts. This thief who had little to no time to work out his own salvation entered into heaven. And somehow God sanctified him in an instant. But that is one example, one example in the Bible. The bulk of the example is you live your life for however long God gives you to live it, striving for holiness. Don't come in and use the thief on the cross as an excuse. I can just do whatever I want to do. Look at the thief on the cross. I mean, he made it in. If that's your attitude, then 1 John 3, 8 is not talking about you. If you can say, I can do whatever I want, then you have not been changed by the grace of God. You've not been born again. you need a heart change. It begins at regeneration. It increases throughout life. But it's not completed until death. But oh, it will be. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 23. He goes on from saying strive for the holiness without which no one can see God. And then he goes on over and in verse 23. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. At death. If you die before Christ comes back, before it is time for glorification, if you die, the Bible teaches that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That your sanctification in an instant will be complete. And your spirit will be finally finished. And you will be in the presence of Christ. And you will wait for that day when your body will be called up and it will be transformed. And you will then be reunited with that body and it will be glorification. Look also in Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. The reason I know that sanctification will be completed at death is illustrated in this verse, Twenty-one, twenty-seven. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, talking about heaven, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In salvation the atoning work of Christ. His death, His blood being spilled, Him becoming the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God dying for those who were full of sin. And Him paying that price and taking the wrath of God, it makes us perfect in our standing before God. It makes us right with God. It makes us sinless in the way that God sees us. But the reality is that even after coming to know Him as Lord and Savior, we still struggle with sin. And this life is preparation for heaven. And that at death, that struggle is over. And we are perfect in our Sinlessness. And we will be. Permitted access. Into heaven. Boy isn't that an amazing thought. I mean let's just go right now. There are some things that you can do. On this journey. This journey of. Becoming. Holy. That begins at being born again that increases throughout your life and that will be completed at death, there are some things that you can do to spur this on. One is you can pick up your Bible and read it. Don't neglect it. We live in a day where we have Bibles coming out of our ears. We have all sorts of translations, different versions. I mean, there was a day when men gave their lives to translate the Bible out of Greek into the language that the common people would understand. And we have multiple copies and we throw them around. If you go into my office, uh, over here at, at our offices, you can go in and my shelf, I've just got Bibles, just stacks of Bibles up there. Don't be a person that just neglects it. Don't. Leave Sunday service and toss it somewhere and then next Sunday morning say, oh, uh, where's my Bible? I've got to take my Bible with me. Pick it up through the week. Be what Psalm chapter 1 talks about where you delight in the law of the Lord and you become like a tree planted by water. You bear fruit in season and out of season. It's, it's life to you. Not only can you read your Bible, but you can pray. You know, we have access. We, we have the great privilege of, of casting all of our cares on the Lord, the great privilege of entering his throne room and just bragging on God, praising Him. We have the great privilege, the, the, the great privilege of coming to Him and letting our requests be made known to him. And oftentimes I go into hospital rooms where there is little hope. There's all sorts of things going on, and and I'll say to the person, is there anything that I can do for you? And 95% of the time, the person will say, just pray. Just pray, Pastor, just pray. And there's a little bit in me that says, boy, I, I know I'm going to, but I wish I could do more than that. As if prayer were something inferior. Prayer is the greatest gift that we have. We, you can worship, you can sing songs to God. It doesn't have to be when we gather together. I mean, I drive down the road and people think I'm crazy half the time. I've got the radio on and I'm, and listen, I listen to all kinds of stuff. Um, I got all, I mean, all kinds of stuff in my car. Um, I can go, we can go out to my car right now. You're probably not interested, but I've got some rap in my car that is, I mean, it's like going to seminary. These guys, there is a generation of guys right now, and and I know probably nobody in this room except for my son, maybe my daughter, likes rap. Okay? But it's good stuff. I mean, they're they're rapping stuff that I learned in seminary. These guys are going to the seminaries that we, as Southern Baptists, sponsor. And they are taking an industry that has long been ignored by the gospel and, and they're, they're claiming it. It's, it's an industry that has long been claimed by people that are, are very negative toward women. And talk about drug use and all this other stuff. And these guys are out there rapping about being sanctified. And I'm not talking about it's like cheesy stuff. It's good. Now, Ruby, if you want to come out and listen to it after the service, we, I'll take you out there and you can listen to it. All right? It's good stuff, but whatever it is, worship, worship, witness, look for people around you and witness Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Come, don't neglect this body. Gather in community, gather in the faith family. Hebrews also tells us that that not to neglect the gathering of yourselves together. That there is something that happens in the context of the church that aids in this process of sanctification. And then discipline. Discipline yourself. This will not be easy. But I, I dare you to pick up a biography of anybody that has been considered a great Christian in history. I dare you to pick up a biography of them and read it Because you will discover that their life was filled with discipline. I mean, they got up early and stayed up late. Loving the word of God. Loving his church. Wanting to see him glorified. I mean, it it will it will be work. But I'm telling you, it will be worth it. I encourage you to enter into this partnership with God. In pursuing holiness, let's pray together. Lord, thank you that that you've not left us alone, God. That we're not we don't have to do this in order to gain entrance into heaven. God, our entrance into heaven is secure in the finished work of Christ. It is by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. But God, also thank you that you are changing us from within, preparing us for heaven. And God, I pray that we would do everything we can to partner with you, that we would discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And God, I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great night.